Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 17 to 18. Amen. We can read the word of the Lord tonight. Paul says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus. And if they heard us pronounce their names, they would probably be offended. And some of you have maybe secretly been offended and hid it in your heart because of love when I tried to pronounce some of your last names here in Cajun country. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence or made up for your lack. For they refreshed my spirit. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I want us to focus tonight on this statement, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. These three people that are mentioned, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, and what they seemed to do to the Christians that they came into contact with, the effect that they seemed to have upon the life of those that they were around in times of trial and struggle and difficulty what the result of their ministry to one another was. And we don't know what their ministry was or if they had any official position or title, but we do know that they seemed to have an effect upon those that they were around when they were in trouble, and it was this, that they refreshed their spirit. They ministered to people, people whose spirit was anxious or weary or tired or discouraged. They refreshed them. They encouraged them. They renewed them. They gave rest to their spirit. They were able to minister to people in their need in a way that brought refreshing peace, comfort to their hearts. I want to speak to you tonight about a ministry of refreshing. We talk about a ministry of a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher or an apostle or a prophet or something like that, but I tell you, I think something that is missing and something that we don't give a lot of attention to uh, because it doesn't seem to have much flair or excitement or doesn't come with a certain level of praise is a ministry of refreshing. And I believe that it's something that Christ desires to do in the heart of his people to make his people, all of his people, people who have a ministry 
of refreshing. And so I pray tonight that your heart would be open for the Lord to speak to your heart. And really, the burden of my heart as I would speak to you is that God would multiply uh, this within us, within our church, within our community, within our families, that God would make us to be people who have a ministry of refreshing, that, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our life in such a way that we have a gift or a knack or a habit of being refreshing, that we would be known as people who refresh other people. Amen. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't that be just a beautiful thing, a precious thing, that if we saw someone who was weary or discouraged or worn out or their heart was was beginning to crumble or be anxious, that we would see them and think, you know, I know somebody that they should talk to. I know somebody that I should just give them their number. If they would spend a little time with them, it would minister to them. It would help them. It might not solve their problems. Maybe they don't have all of the wisdom or all of the scripture or all of the ability to do whatever needs to be done, but they can make an impact on their spirit, that they can be a refresher. Let's seek the Lord tonight for the help of the Spirit of God that we would seek the Lord to be such people in his name. Amen. Let's pray tonight. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We praise you because the Spirit of God is at work in us to make us like Jesus. And we ask you that you would help us tonight to see and to have revelation from your word, to see it with eyes that have been enlightened by the Holy Ghost, that we might not just understand, but that we might have a vision, a hunger, a yearning, a desire to be people who are used by the Spirit of God to refresh others. Because, Lord, there are many who need to be refreshed. There are many whose souls are anxious or weary or discouraged or tired, and we desire to give them rest and to renew them and to point them to the same Christ that is ministered to us. We thank you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. A little bit of the history and context for these statements. These words are not written in a vacuum. Paul is writing the church of Corinth. This is his closing remarks and final instructions to the church. And he's letting them know about these three people that have come to him. And it's assumed that these three people are the ones that are referred to or implied in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when it says, now concerning the things that you wrote to me about, that the Corinthians had questions about issues that were going on in the church, and they said, we want to send a letter to Paul and ask Paul these theological questions and practical questions and get some answers from him. And so there wasn't a postal service or FedEx or UPS. Letters were usually sent with a messenger. And so it's assumed that these three people came from the church of Corinth and brought a message to Paul. And so they're bringing the letter to Paul and reporting to him all of the things that are going on in the church, and he's probably going to send these three people back to the church of Corinth. And he's telling them something about these people that came to visit them. He's he's talking about who they are in Christ and how they affected his heart, but not only his heart, but their heart. And what is it he says about the effect that they had on his heart and the Corinthians' heart? He said, I rejoice. 
I'm celebrating. There's, there's joy. Rejoicing implies joy in the heart, but it is an act of joy. It is a celebration. It is a praise. It is an excitement that is expressed to God, but also expressed because of God. And he says, I'm happy. I'm glad. Praise the Lord. I have reason to give thanks. I have reason to testify. I have reason to give God glory and honor and praise for what he's done. I am happy. I'm excited. I rejoice at the coming of these three people. When I think about the fact that they came, I'm happy. Amen? I'm happy. Why is he happy? And the longer that you get to know people, the more you will ask questions like, when certain people come, why are you happy? Because you will begin to realize that there are people who come that do not cause you to rejoice. Amen? You love everybody in the name of Jesus, but it don't mean that everybody that comes, you go, yay, they're here. Sometimes you say, well, Lord, you give, you give your people a cross to bear, and in the name of Jesus, I will love them and believe for you to work some fruitful thing, but I'm not necessarily happy about it, but I will obey. And so he says, I'm rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? He says, because they have made up for your absence. And the implication seems to be, if you study the whole letter, that he's he's. Uh, he's wanting to be with them. He's hurt by their absence. Also, he has questions about them because of their absence. And he's saying, I'm not with you, and I wish that I was because I hear the things that are going on in the church in Corinth. You're Christians. You're people who are supposed to know the Lord. You are solid in the doctrine that I preach to you, and I'm just heartbroken over the things that are going on in the church in Corinth. I'm really shocked at the things that are going on in Corinth, and when I heard about what was going on there and probably sent for Stephanus to come and talk to him and give him a further report... He's going, I really need to know what's going on, and I wish that I could be with you, but you're not with me because it would be unrealistic to ask the entire church to come, right? So if, if by the, the will of God, somehow the Lord calls me to be somewhere in a distant place ministering for a season, and then I hear there are awful things going on here at the church in Brobridge, it would be a little unrealistic if I'm in Arkansas or Texas or North Carolina or wherever it is, and I write and say, I would like everyone in the church in, North, in Louisiana here in Brobridge to come over here and tell me what's going on. Now, if I was in Tennessee, maybe I wouldn't have to fight that hard to get you to come. Uh, but either way, it would be a little unrealistic. And he's saying, I can't have all of you here, but they are here. And they've told me about what's going on in the church, but they've told me the way that they've talked to you, the, the way that they've corrected certain issues. They've assured me of certain things, hopefully, that your heart is open to correction, open to teaching. But the point is that they have come in your absence, and what did they do? Verse 18, they refreshed my spirit. They refreshed my spirit. When we see the word refresh, this is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, uh, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so what is it that is the antonym of this rest or refreshing? Refreshing. It is weary and heavy laden. 
There are burdens. There are pains. So you imagine, Jesus says in that context, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so he's speaking to Jews. And the context of the book of uh, the gospel of Matthew is focused on Jesus' message to the Jews. And they called the law the yoke. And so it was the yoke that God expected them to put upon their shoulders and to carry in faithful obedience to God. And he says, you've been carrying this yoke for a long time. You've been trying to carry this burden, and it has worn you out. You are tired. You are weary. You are anxious. Your soul is bothered. And I'm telling you, you're weary. You're tired. Come to me. Take my yoke, and you'll be refreshed and find rest for yourselves. That's the word where he says, and find rest for yourselves. And so the first definition of the word is not refreshing. It is rest. It means an activity that has caused or has been allowed to be stopped or prevented. Someone that was busy, someone that was doing something, and now they're told you don't have to do that anymore. You can rest. You can stop. And so refreshing is the result of the first definition to cease to be active, to become inactive, and to rest. And the idea is resting so that your strength can return to you. And so if we have this idea of the word refreshing, that Paul says that my spirit was refreshed, what does that tell us about his heart before Stephanus and these other people came? That his heart was not at rest. His heart was anxious. His heart was burdened. His heart was weary. His heart was tired. It was going a thousand miles a minute because he's going, what's going on in Corinth? What's going on with the people? Are they they going to receive the message? Are they going to stay in the flesh? Are they going to turn from my rebuke and my correction? Are they going to hold to their wrong behavior? Are they going to reject my loving correction of what they're doing? And I'm uneasy about them. I'm concerned about them. I'm worried about them. Can you understand what Paul means when he says, not only did he suffer all of the things of punishments and beatings and shipwreck and all of that, but he says also the care of all of the churches. I'm constantly worried about my children in the faith. What nobody told me, I guess probably because I didn't have the wisdom or maturity to understand it, was that becoming a parent was equivalent to signing up for a lifetime of anxiousness, terror, and worry. You know, before I would be kind of befuddled and confused when my mother would call me and ask, you know, do you have enough food? Do you have enough clothes? How are you financially? Are you okay? Are you sick? Are you healthy? What's going on? You're sniffling. You should go to the doctor. And I would think, I'm a grown man. I have a job. I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry. I'm responsible for other people. I think I can take care of my own whatever issue it was. And then you have children and they grow and you all of a sudden you walk into the house and you're anxious. Every time I come in the house and it's past bedtime and the kids are in in bed asleep and my wife is asleep, I don't know about you, but I can't just go to bed. I have to do a clean sweep of the house, right? So before I take my, uh, well, anyway, before I take my knife off or, you know, whatever else that I might have to defend my wife or children off of my body and put that away into a safe somewhere, I walk through the house, I check the bedrooms, I look under the kids' bed, I check closets, I pay attention, I check all the doors, I check the windows, I'm just 
constantly aware of what's going on. Everyone in the world can call me and I can say, I don't have time to answer. I have something going on. I have to finish. And if my wife calls me, did someone drown? Did someone die? Did someone fall and hit their head? The other day the baby fell off of the steps, a foot and a half down, hit his head on the concrete. That's all that I thought about for the next 24 hours. Is he okay? Is he breathing? Or is there a pro- is he, are his eyes dilated? And then I began to realize the way that my mother and father are asking me questions means when they turn 18, this doesn't go away. This is the rest of my life, and we've got five of them, right? So this is for the rest of my life, this is how I'm going to feel, anxious, worried, consumed. And then Paul says, my children of the faith, all of the people that he ministered to, he said, I'm your father in the faith, thousands of people across, across multiple continents, and Paul's going, I'm worried, And so he says, they refreshed me, implying I wasn't refreshed. My heart was anxious, like any father's heart would be anxious about his children. Are they okay? Are they believing right things? Are they doing right things? Are my kids being foolish and getting themselves into trouble? Oh no, what's going on? And so he says that these men came and refreshed him. They encouraged him. In other words, they had a good report But it was not just that they had a good report, because there can be good news coming from a wrong source, and people who are not encouragers will find a way to be discouraging, right? Well, Paul, you wrote about this, this, and this, and they were willing to receive it, but some of them are doing this, and there's a problem, and I don't know what we're going to do, and the finances are low in the church, and all no, and so... Other people can find a way to make anything discouraging, right? There's an old saying uh, that there are people who can find a problem for every solution, right? No matter how well things are going, they can find a way to be discouraged. I've, I've realized that there are people that I have tried to encourage that eventually I realized they didn't want to be encouraged. It wasn't that I wasn't good at encouraging, but that they didn't want to be encouraged, that no matter what perspective or truth or scripture I quoted, they just wanted to sulk or be discouraged and be determined. Nothing can improve. Nothing can be better. And so he says, they came and they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, implying that they effectively ministered to the people of Corinth in the situation that was going on, and the Spirit of God used them in a way that ministered to the hearts of the people of Corinth and ministered to the heart of Paul when they came and shared that report with him. But implied in this is the power of the Spirit of God to be at work in people, to refresh people. Right? This is, this is the point. Because... When he says that he refreshed them, this is a word that is often used in the New Testament to describe what God's people do for one another, implying the Holy Spirit is at work in them to give them that ability. He is helping them to refresh others, to minister to the heart of others. When the heart of people are discouraged and weary and hurting and hard to be lifted up, there are those who just have a supernatural ability from God to lift the heart of others, to encourage the heart of others, to minister to the heart of others. Usually those are people who have gone through pretty awful things themselves but have trusted the Lord and the Spirit of God ministered to them in their season and they know what it is to be weary. 
They know what it is to hurt. They know what it is to grieve. They know what it is to feel that there is nothing but darkness all around them. And they know what it is for the Holy Ghost to show up and minister to them in that moment. And so they're capable of refreshing others. This is not just a, a way of being positive, right? There are people who are just, they're what are you, early risers, they're morning people, their personality is a sunflower, right? They just, no matter what's going on, there's a positive way of looking at this. There's a positive way. Well, at least that didn't happen, right? And, and not that that's wrong. There are people who that's their personality, but that is not the power of the Holy Spirit. And the life of the Christian and the life of faith is not only learning to have a positive outlook at even the darkest situation, because carnal people can do that, right? You can do that with karma, you can do it with Hinduism, uh, you can do it with atheism. I've seen atheists who are very positive on their outlook. Hey, there's no God and I'll never be judged for the things that I do. Yay, the opportunity to live without accountability, right? So they can find a positive uh, perspective on anything. The issue is that the Holy Spirit empowers them to minister to the heart of other people. I want to tell you this. God always intended for his people to be there for one another. Not just to celebrate the good times, but to support one another in the hard times. And to be a means of his blessing to those who need it. Remember what it says in Acts chapter 4, 36 through 37. Then Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This man, Joseph, was so encouraging. He had such a supernatural power to minister to the hearts of people and encourage them and lift them up and strengthen them when there was no natural reason to be encouraged that that became his name. Amen. How would you like to be in church? And we just decide that's not your name anymore, right? We love you, Bruce. We're so glad that you're here. Just letting you know you're not, your name is not Bruce anymore. It's something that we're, we've changed your name, right? And so that's the way that you are. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, he's not even Joseph anymore. You don't even hear anything about Joseph. Who's Joseph? Nobody knows. He's Barnabas. We changed your name. That's because the man had such an ability by the Spirit of God to encourage others. Oh, that that would be true of us. Amen? Oh, that we had more Barnabases in the church. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because if you love one another, you'll be there one for another. Right? The law of Christ is a law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're doing that, you can't do that and say, hey, brother, love you, but I'm not going to help you. Right? I'm not going to be there for you. I'm not going to do anything for you. Isn't that John's point? Uh, and, well, him and James have very similar statements, and I can never remember which one said it. I think it was James that he said, if you say, be warm, if you say to those who are hungry, cold, and naked, be warmed and be filled but you don't do anything and you don't give them anything for the needs of the body, what kind of love is that, right? So you're hungry and you're cold and I see you're shivering and I'm eating a bowl of hot warm soup and got my two coats on and you're sitting there and I go, man, I'm so sorry for you. I hope you get warm and I hope you get some food. Whew, it's hot with this extra jacket on and you take that off and he goes, what kind of love is that? What's the point of that, Right? 
we do this, we allow our conscience to be eased at the needs of others by saying things like, I'm praying for you, right? Never intending to do anything. But he says, if you want to fulfill the law of Christ, help bear one another's burdens. When that person is tired and there's a weight that's on them that makes it difficult for them to stand up and they're falling, don't just say, get up. Put a shoulder under their arm. Pick them up and walk with them. Bear their burden with them. What about Psalm 133, where it says, 1 through 3, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. When brothers are dwelling together, it's experiential. It's precious. Some commentaries have said this as the oil was a symbol of the anointing, that the anointing of God falls upon the body of Christ when it is gathered together in unity and faith and in love together in that holy sense of brotherhood. And in the same way that when Aaron was appointed as the high priest, that Moses took the oil and poured it on his head and it started at the head and went down onto his beard and then onto his collar and then onto his robe. In other words, the anointing was not just on the head, but on the whole body. We are not, are we not the body of Christ? Is not Jesus our great high priest? And do we not ever live as priests uh, and worshiping God as the body of Christ? But the anointing is not just on the head, on Christ, but it goes to the beard and to the rest of the body. And the anointing ought to be working a unity in us. And it says it's not only like that, but it is also like the dew of Hermon. In Israel, in that hot climate, they didn't have a lot of rain. Most of the moisture in the water that they got came from the dew that fell every morning with the small amount of moisture that was in the air, and it cooled at night, and that, that dew would land on the ground. And can you imagine living in that incredibly dry heat? and you walk out in the morning, we get annoyed at the, the dew that's on the ground. It's slick, it's nasty, it makes the grass stick to your feet. Uh, it's just not attractive. It makes the, the windows fog up, then you gotta wait two extra minutes to drive to work, and you're late because of it, or maybe not you, but me. And he says for them, it was a joy, that it brought refreshing. It was like the dew of Hermon, of this mountain which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. In other words, in the same way that God commands his blessing upon Mount Zion as the holy place of God and is dwelling among his people, that when God's people are together in unity and allowing the Holy Spirit to unify their hearts in faith and love for one another, that God will command the blessing there. Amen? Can you think of that? Can you imagine that? And you go, Lord, what is it that, that seems to be that the blessing is lacking in the body of Christ? Is it that I need more individual prayer, more individual Bible study, more individual growth? Are all of those things wonderful and good? Is that part of an answer? Yes. 
And how much more would God be so pleased to say my body is joined together without division and pettiness and anger and, and, and unforgiveness and all of these other things or just being so focused on their own lives that they're not united together, that they've come together in the bonds of love. And God says, I'll command the blessing in that place. I'll command the blessing. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so he gives uh, these examples. Two are better than one. Why? Why are two better than one? For several examples. Because when two are working together, they have a better reward for their work. If you're working, you're working with somebody else, you get more done. If you fall, you have somebody to pick you up. And if you're alone, you don't have anyone to pick you up. And you're laying down at night and it's cold and you don't have central heating and central air and not everyone has a blanket with them in that culture and that time, you can cuddle up together and get warm. Now that might not be the best story to tell everybody if it's two guys out at the camp and you get freezing cold and the heater goes out, but if it's between uh, dying of being freezing, of freezing in the middle of the night and getting back to back and nobody ever coughing or moving or saying anything one to one another, you'd rather be warm and just be a little uncomfortable, Right? Okay, I'm wrong in that one. You're like, I agree with you, but I can't say anything because it's awkward right now. He says, when there's an attack, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. We ought to be fighting together. It's a sad thing if people in the body of Christ are fighting battles alone because they don't feel like they have anybody that will fight with them. And he says, and a threefold, cold, a threefold cord is not easily broken. You're, bi- you're binding together between me, you, and the Lord is a strength that's not easily overcome. And so God intends for us to be together, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. And one of the ways that we do that is to have a ministry of refreshing, that we can renew each other's heart, that we can give peace that we can speak a word of encouragement when the other person is weary and tired and hurting. I can tell you, I have had many people in the body of Christ be that for me. That just in that moment when I needed it, that they just came and spoke a word that I didn't even know that I needed. And when they did, it ministered to my heart. It renewed me and it refreshed me. And you can say, well, why didn't the Lord give me that word? I've prayed and I've fasted and I've searched the scriptures and I'm looking for that word and the Lord didn't give it to me. Because your walk with the Lord is not a walk that is alone. You're not an island. God calls us to walk together as a body and he doesn't intend to, eat, to meet all of your needs just between you and him. Now that might sound very sacred and holy, right? It might sound very sanctimonious and religious. It's just me and the Lord. I go into the prayer closet. I'm alone with God. It's just me and God, and I want to hear from the Lord and not man. God intends to use his body. We can't be fearful of being open and vulnerable and honest and needy of one another. 
God intends for us to be together. How much so if Paul needed to be refreshed, right? If Paul needed to be ministered to by others, I doubt any of us think that we're closer to God, hear from God, or have more revelation or resolve or strength of conviction than the apostle Paul had. And he's sitting there, the same apostle that would say things like, be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God will guard your heart if you'll trust him. Don't be anxious. He goes, I was so anxious. I was nervous. I was weary. My heart was like, oh, God, what's happening to these people? Are they serving you? Are they not? Are they in the flesh? Are they resisting the word? I don't know what's going on. And then these brothers came and refreshed his spirit, and renewed him, and encouraged him. Wouldn't we love if the Lord would make us to be refreshers? Wouldn't you love that if the Lord would make you someone that was able to go in when someone was dark and lonely and hurting and weary, and their heart felt like it was about to fail, and that the Spirit of God would enable you and equip you to bear one another's burdens, to refresh their spirit, and to renew them. As we close tonight, we must view this topic in its full form. We're talking about the good and the necessary ministry of refreshing, but these brothers who refreshed others were in contrast to those who created the need for Paul to be refreshed. This letter wasn't written in a vacuum. Paul didn't need to be refreshed just because Right? There are moments and there are seasons, and I've been through times where I could say, nothing's wrong, my relationship with the Lord is good, everything seems okay, there's not a problem with the kids, not a problem with the money, not a problem with the church. We're doing well, and I just can't tell you why, my heart is weary. I've been there. But most of the time that's not the case, and most of the time that's not the case with Paul, and it's not the case in this circumstance, that this issue is not one in a vacuum, void of context or circumstance or relationship. Paul needed to be refreshed because there were people who made Paul's heart weary and anxious and nervous so that he needed to be refreshed. He needed to be refreshed and put at ease because there were many at Corinth who caused him to be anxious by their behavior that threatened to destroy the church of God. So I want to say to you tonight, we don't just need, we don't want to be the kind of person that just refreshes others. We also want to be the kind of people that avoid creating the need for refreshing. Amen? I want to be able to refresh you, but I also don't want to be the reason you need to be refreshed. Right? Does that make sense? I I, I want all that scripture, all that truth, all that joy, all that life, but I don't want to be the one to go to you and say something or hurt you or create questions in your heart or create a divide in our relationship or do something that makes you anxious or weary or nervous or hurt or offended, and therefore then I need to go and help you do that. And so our goal should not only to be refreshers, but to avoid being the kind of people who cause others to need to be refreshed. What are the kinds of people who wear out the hearts of God's people? There are drainers. Drainers. It is those who are always needing others to pour into them because they won't go to the Lord to get their cup filled. And so I've got to constantly go to you and poke a hole in your cup and let it run into my cup. 
Now, should that happen for a season? Are there times where we all need one another? Amen. But if you're always discouraged, always weary, always clinging to others, always, can you give me a word? I don't know. And then no matter what's going on, they're discouraged. There are people that I've stopped asking how they're doing because it's, it's going to burden my heart, right? That no matter what is going on, they, everything could have gone the best it's ever gone in six months and they will find a way to complain, Oh, and the drama. Look, I'm just being honest with you, right? I'm being honest with you. Oh, pastor. I was at Walmart, and I've been having to walk all the way from the back of the parking lot up to the front for months now. It's been so full, and I finally pulled up, and there was a parking spot right up at the front. And before I could get in there, somebody pulled there, or somebody left a cart there, and it was right in the way, and I couldn't pull in. It just, oh... They can find a way. They're drainers. They don't go to the Lord and let the Lord fill their cup and encourage them and minister to them, and they drain you. They drain you. Don't be a drainer. There are astonishers. Astonishers. It is those whose behavior is shocking for a Christian. We're studying Galatians right now. I guess that's why it's in my mind. But Paul says, I'm astonished at you that you would do this, this, and this. I can't believe that you would do that. And sometimes there are Christians who love the Lord, love God, but they make momentary decisions based on the flesh or how they feel or whatever other motivation it is, and the things that they do are truly astonishing. You go, I can't, you, I can't, you did what? I can't believe that you would do that. And frankly, it's, it's exhausting, it's wearying, it's burdensome. There are discouragers. We talked about these earlier. Those who can find a problem for every solution. No matter what's going on, they have a reason to not believe God. These discouragers usually outnumber the encouragers, right? Discouragers always, even in the body of Christ. I hate to say that, but it's just true. Discouragers outnumber the encouragers. With the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan to spy it out, how many came back with a good report and how many came back with a bad report? Ten to two. Ten to two. And what did it say? When they spoke, they made the heart of the people melt. They filled them with anxiety and terror and worry. Oh, the land's good. The fruit's big. The cities are nice. The, 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 all the things are wonderful, but there's giants in the land and there's no way. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. Uh, they usually go under the title of, of just being practical. I'm just realistic. Usually being realistic is an excuse to not trust God. Criticizers, criticizers, those who have an eye that is trained in fault-finding. Often this is the result of shallow character, but comes from an abundance of opinion, right? So if, if, if there are levels of, of different things in the life of believers, their character and experience in Christ is about here, but their head is filled with enough knowledge that they have opinions that are up here. And it might be doctrinally, it might be uh, in life or in practice, but either way, their godly character and experience are here, but they've got enough opinions that everybody else, it's obvious the problems that are in their life. And I can find something wrong with somebody the moment that I walk into a room. Fault finders. Fault finders. Usually these fault finders are also the discouragers, but we'll, we'll deal with that another time. <laughs> 
side takers, those who follow personalities and force others to do likewise. Side takers. Side takers. Usually, these people do not have the wisdom or the maturity to be nuanced. It's only A or B. They create false dichotomies. It's got to be this or it's got to be that. And if it's not this, then it's that. And if it's that, then it's bad. Side takers, right? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Side takers. They want to force you in to a corner and punish you if you don't fall in line with their ideas. If you don't believe that this this is an issue, just go on Facebook and look for two Christians talking about any political, moral, or social issue that exists, and you will find, if you don't believe it this way, you're wrong, and you're the devil, and blah, blah, blah. Is that to say we can't draw a line in the sand and say there are things that are biblical and things that are not? No, we have to do that, but sometimes that, that line is too wide, and it's too flippantly applied. Side takers. Also, attention seekers. Those who assault everything that takes attention away from them, their gifts, and their position. They have to be important. They have to be relevant. Usually this comes out of a sense of insecurity, but they have to be so important. It's so important to them that they're seen as important. Fickle friends. Fickle friends. It is those who declare their allegiance one moment and withdraw it for petty reasons. This is a real problem in the body of Christ that I've seen over years. Fickle friends. If we ended relationship, other relationships, the way that we end relationships with churches or other Christians, the way that we, uh, if we ended other relationships, the way that we end uh, those relationships, man, we'd be in trouble. Right? I wonder how many people have left churches over reasons they would never uh, leave a marriage for, never break off relationship with their children and their family, and it just goes to show you that they don't really view the church as family. Petty reasons, really just small-minded reasons that will break off fellowship, be critical, be unkind one to another. Fickle friends, they'll tell you, oh, you're the best friend ever, I love you. BFF, right? You're everything. You're so important. You're wonderful. Well, you disagree with me about something? Again, social media, if you disagree with this, go ahead and unfriend me now. How many of you have seen that, right? People who are willing to divide over everything. I wish I didn't have to say this one, but it's true. Needy backstabbers. Needy backstabbers. Those who cling to people that they need but turn on them when they are no longer necessary or become the one who needs help. This is what I was thinking about when I wrote that. David and his mighty men, right? They are people who are, uh, they're criminals, they're indebted, or people are chasing them, trying to hunt them down, and they hear that David is over here in the cave of Adullam, and all of these people go over to David, and you're the best, David, and we love you, David, and your leadership's amazing, David, and your, your authority's great, David, and we believe in you, David, and we'll fight for you, David, and we'll do all of these other things. And then... It says that they go away for a time, go to fight somewhere, they're sent back, and they find that all of their possessions and their wife and their children have been taken. And it says that, well, I'll just read it to you. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, where it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul. 
We love you, David. You're the best, David. You ought to be king, David. Oh, something happened that we can lightly blame on you. We're ready to kill you. They're needy, but they'll turn on you in a moment. There's a reason that when the people begin to point to Jesus and say, you ought to be king, you ought to be king, that he said he didn't, he didn't give himself to them. He wouldn't follow them. He wouldn't let them make him king. It says because he knew what was in man. He knew how empty their praises were. He knew how fickle their friendships were. He knew that as long as they thought that he could do something for them, they would love him and praise him and exalt him. But the moment that they thought he threatened their ideals and their goals, they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want to be these things to one another. Therefore, our goal must not only be that we become a positive influence of blessing upon others, but to avoid being a burden to those who are already weary. We've got to seek the Lord. I've been probably all of these things. I've been all of these things. If not all of them, at least most of them, in some way, form, or another. But I believe that the grace of God also wants to make me a person that has a ministry of refreshing. And I believe the Lord wants to do that for the body of Christ that he would give us people that are able to refresh one another, to minister to one another, to encourage one another when they need it most. People who see the need for others to be refreshed. Amen? That's not an easy thing because that requires you to look beyond yourself. Because sometimes we're weary and we're tired and we don't feel like being the one to refresh others. Right? I, I'm tired myself. Why do I have to be the one to go encourage them? Maybe because if you don't feel, feel that you have anything to give yourself, you'll have to depend on the Lord to do it. Amen? My Paul could say things from a prison cell like, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Dude, your back's bleeding. You're in shackles. You probably haven't been fed in a week, and you're like, yay, Jesus. The Lord wants to make us move beyond our own selves to care about the needs of others. Amen? All that God would give us people who have a ministry of refreshing. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you give us wisdom. That you give us discernment to see the needs of the heart of people. That we might minister to them. You convict us when we are the opposite of that. And you help us to help bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we ask you that you would multiply this among us. And you would cause us to be encouragers and spirit refreshers. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. And we trust you, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Praise God. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll see you Sunday morning.